How's it going, folks? Welcome to the Point Being Podcast. This is your host, Edward Salaya. I'm joined today by our cartoonist, as always, David Fitzsimmons. David, how are you? I'm fine. Hello, everybody. Stay well, please. And by world-renowned and uh, probably one of the one of the most renowned experts here in Arizona, uh, Michelle Manos, a epidemiologist and virologist. Uh, Michelle, how are you today? I'm doing all right, and thank you for letting me be here. But just like every day, I'm increasingly concerned. And yeah. that's why we brought you on, because I think it's not just you who's increasingly concerned. Myself and David uh, kind of fall into that camp as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm, I'm profoundly concerned. I'm constantly... Uh struggling to uh, learn the protocols and to practice them. So I know you wanted to talk a little bit about kind of a communication breakdown and where, where we have not been able to communicate the, the public health message to people. Maybe kind of address just right off the bat, what, what is the message that people who are going on spring break, what are they just not getting? What, what's a, or what might be a better way to get the message out to those folks? We're not taking it as serious. That's a huge question. Gotcha. All right. So that let's let's use that as an example, mm-hmm. actually, because that's what first got me thinking about uh, one of our increasing number of failures here, and that is the failure to communicate effectively. And may I take a moment before we jump into that sure. to say what public health professionals would be doing typically in a situation where we needed to educate about something new, mm-hmm. right? We, we'd have a little bit of time. We'd be able to think through all of the theories of behavior change mm-hmm. and knowledge and attitude and behavior, and we'd think it through, and we'd be able to go out and test various approaches, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work in a crisis and mm-hmm. um, but but still i think we're we don't have a critical mass of people thinking through these things so let, let's take the spring break thing so what what is it that we needed to communicate to that group well on the surface what we needed to communicate was there's a potentially deadly virus going around and you all should stay away from each other and not do the kinds of things that you're doing <laughs> there on the beach, right? I mean, that's a very really basic level, yeah. what we needed to communicate. Mm-hmm. But, but thinking about this professionally in terms of public health communication, we, we really need to think, well, what in order for a person, you know, a college-age student to listen number one, what would you have to say? And then what, what would you have to convey for them to be concerned or interested enough to actually change their behavior? Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, Ed, we don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the answer to that question. What, what could we have said to those students that would have made a difference? And it, it may be nothing, but if we don't start thinking about who our targets are and looking at where we're failing already, and mm-hmm. um, we won't be able to flatten the curve because people won't really be listening and also people won't be fine-tuning as they learn more. We, we, uh, we've been hearing that term flatten the curve uh, through a lot of different various media the last two weeks. 
Can you kind of explain what the the what number one what it means kind of to the layperson, and then uh, what what is the science and what is the math behind that idea of flattening the curve? Well, since we're talking, it it's harder for me to explain this. <laughs> it's it's a good thing to draw, but mm -hmm. what flattening the curve means is slowing down the accumulation of cases, mm -hmm. right? So doing enough distancing and containment and other kinds of things that we're talking about to slow the spread of the virus, gotcha. right? It's mm -hmm. not stopping the virus, but it's slowing the spread of the virus, right? Mm -hmm. So let's, let's say that we're interacting less so that now we only have 100 new cases a day. Cases meaning, let's say, people pre presenting who are sick, Got right, it. and mm -hmm. who need care. So let's say we, have, we go from having 100 a day to having 50 a day. That's, that's, a, that's a really big difference, right? That's 50 less people who will be using services in the medical system or in a hospital. And, and so flattening the curve means um, slowing down, but the practical implications of flattening the curve really have to do with the capacity of our healthcare system. And that's, that's the most important thing right now. And so we are flattening the curve. It just means we're slowing down the spread. And in theory, that means that the epidemic might uh, go on longer. Mm -hmm. it, but all of that is projection. And what will determine all of this it are two things, one of which is actually much more potent than the other. So the first thing is it's the virus. It's, all, it's <laughs> the virus. The viruses are super smart. This one's super smart. Smarter than the president? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but the most powerful tool we have right now is us. It's what, it's what we do. And until we find the right way to get a large portion of our population to do what we need to be doing, um, all hope is lost. Communicating well, what specifically? Communicating, <clears throat> communicating why it matters. Usually when we're trying to get behavior change, um, it, it needs to be personalized for someone. So, for example, some of the messaging out there has been, if you're not doing it for yourself, do it for your family, or mm -hmm. do it for your grandparents, or yes. whatever. Okay, well, that's not working for everyone. And so it, it needs to be personalized. And in this case, I think there is not yet enough fear, quite frankly, Concern, but honestly, when you look at it emotionally, we're talking about fear. Uh -huh. 
Um, and so you, you see that when you hear some people saying, well, we've only got so many cases, right? We heard a lot of that. Mm -hmm. yes. A lot of equivocating, too. Like, it's just the flu. It's just a common cold. A lot of yeah. false information. A lot of false information and a lot of false security in terms of these numbers of, number of cases. We've only got this. We've only got that. We didn't communicate the the message that was um, being communicated in other places, I, I think earlier, and that is the idea of, of uh, community spread, or that idea I first put, put out there where I use the, the term healthy shedders, right? Mm -hmm. Or some people say super spreaders, but these are people who are perfectly healthy, who've been exposed to the virus, and who are shedding large amounts of it. No one looks at them as being dangerous because they're walking around healthy, but that is actually the uh, the way this virus has succeeded. Well, let me ask you, those people are healthy for the time being. They're asymptomatic? No. What or we they, were, they were made healthy? Yes, they, exactly. Really? Yeah, and, and uh, actually... There are healthy carriers who are shedding the virus? Who, who will probably never show any wow. symptoms or might think that they're having allergies. Yeah, that, that's wow. why this virus spread so fast. We understand that now. And wow. for those of us who think through these things all the time, it was obvious seeing the spread in China and then also in Korea that there had to be healthy carriers. It's the only way it could spread that fast. So that, that's a really important thing to understand. With that, uh, with that thought in mind, uh, the paranoid corner of my brain wonders, when Pima County recorded its first case, isn't that possible that the virus could have been here for 10 days? Oh, easily. Or however long? Easily. Or even longer? It was. We have to assume it was. Yeah. It's not just possible. Okay, I'm leaving now. See ya! <laughs> Bye! So, I, I know we kind, of, we kind of touched a little bit on how it's, how it's spreading through people, uh, I know that you wanted to touch a little bit on um, kind of where it's spread, for how it's come out of China, and kind of how it how it's traveled across the world so far. Is there is there anything that you can kind of let us into? Like, is this usually how diseases that like SARS or MERS that do emerge out of that part of the world? Is this is this kind of the playbook it's it's going by? Right. But we're in a more futuristic playbook, right? So mm -hmm. if we look back at SARS, right, mm -hmm. which, which also came from bats mm -hmm. and from the fact that, that um, people have bats in these wet markets and bats are, harbor a large number of really deadly viruses, potentially. And um, so with the initial SARS, um, it... It emerged in uh, a what was then a more remote part of China. It didn't spread as quickly. But if you look at our situation now uh, in a country that unfortunately did not close down those markets, um, so bats were being sold in the in the Wuhan market. Mm -hmm. um, there were other wild animals there. We're, we're still not certain how the humanization of the virus happened, but that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We know it, yeah. it came from there. Mm -hmm. So less than 30 kilometers 
from that market the international airport that has non-stop flights all over China, all over Asia, and to Rome, to London, to Paris, to San Francisco, to New York. And so be, remember the thing about the, the healthy carriers, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it was there, it spread, people got on planes. And so initially there was seeding, right, through travel mm-hmm. from China in various areas. So, for example, northern Italy gets a, a lot of, of tourism um, from China. And gotcha. so there was probably very early seeding there. That's what it, it looks like. Um, something I, I just looked at in the past couple of days from a former colleague of mine at, at Johns Hopkins um, is looking at whether or not the virus is changing as it's traveling. And it's actually not changing too much, which is really good. That's, that's a wonderful thing. I actually posted that on Facebook today as a bit of, bit of good news. That, that's good news uh, because uh, hopefully it's, it's not going to mutate into something that's any worse than it is, at least not very quickly. But it's also good news because it gives us a much better chance for developing an effective vaccine. And uh, can you kind of explain, I, I, I've seen some probably pretty good videos that people can look up. Can you kind of just real quickly explain what those wet markets are to people and, and kind of why they are, why they're the vectors that they are? Uh, sure, I, I can. But what I really recommend is there's a CNN special uh-huh. on emerging diseases that was just rerun several nights ago, and I highly recommend I that. Will, I will link to that in, yeah, in this. Yeah, it, it's, it's excellent. Uh, it's a little bit dated, but it, it's just um, so relevant right now. So um, so in, in these markets, there are what we would consider conventional food animals, mm-hmm. right? Chickens. Not, but there are also exotic animals, wild animals, wow. um, some of which are caught in the wild, some of which are actually farmed. Um, wow. But just imagine in this case, a bat, which is infected with all sorts of interesting things, mm-hmm. including the grandmother of this virus that's now circulating. And that bat is on top of a cage that has a civet cat or, or a, a ferret yeah. or something else that might be purchased for food. And one could request either of those, a bat for the barbecue or a pangolin for taking the scales from it, which are the equivalent of our fingernails and toenails and using that for magic medicine. Um, But in in any case, those um, animals now becoming in, in contact, not just with the person whose stand that is, but whoever looks at them or chooses to take them home. What do you say to listeners here who might think or say the following? Hey, it's warm here. Soon it'll be 86 degrees, which I hear from people from time to time. I shake my head. Well, first of all, it is correct that soon it will be warm here. So we can agree on that. <laughs> and... But <laughs> and, I guess, I and yeah, and uh, yes, it, it will will be warm here, and we we do not know how this virus 
is going to cycle, whether it's going to have a seasonal kind of, of cycle uh, like the flu does. We don't know, but... Um, does a virus become uh, inert or what state does it enter when it's... I don't know what I'm trying yeah, to so describe. Yeah, so why are we talking... So I yeah. think, Dave, what you're trying to ask is why are we talking about the weather in the first place? Is that yeah, the question? Yeah. 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 So... Well, th there are a couple of factors here. So first of all, the, this virus is sensitive to heat. So if one were in a lot of outdoor spaces, or even we think about our garages that get really, really, really hot, if we had droplets from exposure outside on a table or elsewhere, it could get inactivated, mm. right, in the heat. So okay, so he might might be good, but it's kind of hard to think through that if you're still all hanging out together, mm -hmm. breathing yeah. on each other. So yes. it doesn't really, that, that doesn't help there. But, but there's another reason with the seasonality, and that is, um, you know, we have, we think about the cold and flu season, which happens in the colder months, right? Yes. So the way we might consider this is people are already more prone to getting any type of an infection because they've got a cold mm -hmm. or they're they're experiencing the flu or what whatever that might be mm. and so they just might be more susceptible both to infection mm. and to having a, a more severe outcome from getting infected in that season but again that's mm. conjecture mm -hmm. you know we won't know until we know well, the president knows. He seems to. Hey, back off of this part of the stuff. <laughs> so I guess my next question then is, um, we talked about how we kind of failed in communication. Another thing that I think we failed in is is testing and rolling that out, getting that done at any sort of large scale before what's kind of already happening in, in New Orleans and New York. Um kind of hoping to avoid those sort of things. Can you kind of talk to her about what the state of testing is, why we seem to have been behind the eight ball on it? I, I need to say something. Sure. First, there's a lot of focus about, you know, please write to the governor or pressure these people, et cetera, et cetera. We need more testing. Uh -huh. And right now, and I say this, I am a diagnostic test developer myself, okay? Mm -hmm. Diagnostic tests are very, very important. But right now, that's not at, at the top of the list of emergencies. And I, I just want to make that sure. clear. Mm -hmm. If you want to have an impact and requ request things and be active right now, the number one thing you should be talking about is personal protective gear and mm -hmm. medical and hospital supplies. That is what we need more than anything right now. So really, okay. all the testing in the world is, and I'm getting teary-eyed here, all the testing in the world is not going to help us with what we will be facing in our hospitals and what we are already facing in our healthcare system. So I just need to get that out there, sure. and then I'll talk about testing. Sure, definitely. For those who might be making masks, hoping to donate them, what are the effective that will help our friends in healthcare. Yeah, the effective masks are, are the ones that are um, made for that purpose. 
They have the filters on them? Professionally. Well, it it depends. I mean, we need regular surgical masks like this one I have right here. Mm -hmm. We need those. Um, But we need... Hold her down, Eddie. I'm stealing it. I'm stealing it. um, uh, We need need the, the special protective masks that filter everything out that really only should be in hospitals right now. So the masks that people are making, that there are some that could be, if they're made properly, could be used, for example, by certain staff and by cleaning crews, et cetera. But one of the, the best ideas I heard about the masks that people are sewing is for people like me who wear a mask because of allergies, and et cetera, we get those, those homemade masks out to people who might be hoarding masks so that the professional mate masks are getting to our house. Where they need, yeah. Are those professionally made masks something that must be, uh, that we have to uh, begin to mass produce to catch up, or do you think the numbers are sufficient in the appropriate masks? I think we need to release our stores from the number that I've seen, right? We need to take those that that are are in storage out, and then we've got to get um, various industries geared up to be making Wow. So, but back huh. to testing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. Sorry, that, that, was anx- I, that was anxious well, silence. The reason I bring that up is because in a few articles I've read, people have kind of referred to it as uh, uh, as the original sin here that we committed in, in dealing with this, that there was the, – the lack of testing was really what has put us behind this able and put us in this position where we need all of this PPE, all of this frontline kind of protection. Yes, it, it would have been good to have more tests available earlier, and it is completely inexcusable that we didn't. And we can, I think, directly blame the administration for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that. That said, all the testing in the world um, would not necessarily change people's behavior. And... Unless we were out doing surveillance testing, right, taking groups of of people and testing all of them, Mm -hmm. we would not have learned about the healthy shedders, for example. Um, We might have been able to detect and and isolate people sooner, uh, but at at this point, um, we we are where we are, mm-hmm. right? And I hope that more tests will become available. Um, I could set up a test if I had the right equipment, basically in my kitchen, right? But you know, we were we were creating these kinds of tests thirty years ago, and there are states that have capacities in biotech companies and in their universities to uh, set up and do testing. They're starting to relax the, uh, the rules mm-hmm. so that um, uh, research laboratories could do large numbers of initial tests, and then they would wait for a regulated approved tests to be done later. Mm -hmm. We could also be doing a lot of testing and doing surveillance with those kinds of research tests. Mm -hmm. And that would be very informative. And and if that becomes available, what you know, number one, that has to be available to our healthcare workers. 
Absolutely, that's the first place that has to go. And then we need to go out and strategically test, do surveillance to understand how the virus is moving. Mm -hmm. And that kind of information then can loop back into this communication improvement that I, I think we need. What do you think the consequence will be of the various states? Well, of the United States not exacting a uniform uh, behavior among all 50 states. I mean, we, we, again, it's another one of those we won't know until we know. But, I mean, certainly, Dave, that any, um, mm. any dismissive attitude yeah. toward the need to mitigate and contain is dangerous. I think of uh, the news reports we've all we're familiar with. You know, I think of places like Mississippi or uh, Alabama, where uh, the political leadership has sometimes reversed localities' decisions to uh, shelter in place. And I'm I'm wondering what the numbers will be out of such places where it's already starting to. I think of it like popping like microwave popcorn. You, know, you get pop. Wow, that's going to be a huge uh, cost in terms of lives. And forgive me, but to whatever pennies are left in the national budget. I, I, I think that you're correct. Um, you're, absolute, you're absolutely right. I, I, I wish we had a, a more uniform level of concern. That said, you know, note that uh, a lot of the media are reminding us that every state can make its own decisions, and then one has to just hope that they're in a state where good decisions are being made. Um, but again, even in places where um, lockdowns are in place, places that have a really good, smart leadership and uh, highly educated and responsive population, California, for example, right? Mm -hmm. It looks like things are slowing down a bit there, um, but there will still be areas where people won't be listening. And, um, you know, th those will continue to have a, a rapid spread. Mm. But th thinking about here in Arizona, um, where were not actually on lockdown and where for some reason, I believe at least a few people think it's essential for people to get their hair done and their nails done. <laughs> yes. Um, are you, you seeing know, it? Uh, are you seeing it yourself? You, I mean, these are, you've seen people going to get their hair done. Yes, and, yeah. I've, I've heard about that. But, but even worse are some, some of the things I'm uh, observing and and I I know you said you've seen some things too, but just driving driving around or or even uh, going out for a, a an isolated of course hike and yeah. seeing people congregating and seeing people congregating close together as in close together talking like they normally would and um, people going for walks see a lot of people going for walks next to each other people who don't live in the same household. Right. So that is is not practicing social distancing, just seeing large, large numbers of that and um, had a really interesting conversation a few evenings ago. And um, 
we did a distanced happy hour. Okay. <laughs> and someone, someone had a tape measure and they, they marked out where six feet were so people could come with their own chair and their own glass, <laughs> their idea. own everything and sat and were talking and um, people were discussing the um, data. This is not politicization. I mean, there are good polling data that show a, a difference between people who identify as Democrats, people who identify as Republicans, yeah. and their response. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You, you've, yeah. you've seen yep. that. Mm-hmm. that. That's information. Mm, that's, and, the, that's my column for this week oh, coming up. Oh, I, I my, terrible, s- my terrible guilt. No, no. No, that's a great segue. Ahead. Good job. No, that's, see, that's perfect. I, I'm expressing yeah. my guilt over the ill will I feel towards individuals who are threatening so I, I guess my question then becomes, is there, do you think there might be a, a way to communicate that better? Do you, do you have an idea of what might break through? Or is it just kind of like, it's too late at this point? No, it's not. It's not. It's not too late. It's mm-hmm. never too late. I, I think we need to uh, create a task force. Um, I've already invited some people to to join me. I don't know how or where we will be able to do this, but I want to get some good uh, minds together, some some people who understand public health communication, journalists who understand communication, um, others who, who understand behavior modification, and um, start looking at this and also start watching what people are doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think Part of managing this properly is to be going out and observing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Dave said he, he was on the way here seeing people congregating. In front of a food truck. In front of a food truck. 15 people at least. 15 <laughs> people. Ugh. Close quarters. I didn't count at the intersection. <laughs> and isn't the number like for every individual that you can infect like Up to three, three or, right? Pretty yeah. much three, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I ran them over. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Problem have it. solved. <laughs> that's a that's a way to figure it out. That's a communication tool. I'm right. Hmm. Absolutely. But but you know we we need to think through communicating, but we have to constantly be going out and evaluating our effectiveness and seeing where the leakage is in understanding and behavior, and then constantly fine-tune our communications. It's the only way that something like this will work. At this point, I'm terribly fatalistic, depressed, despairing, and pessimistic. Thinking about the various states that are not locking down, I'm thinking the numbers are going to be horrifying out of those states, and they're going to impact... Those of us who are being fastidious about the protocols and struggling to stay healthy. Yes, things can potentially be horrible in places that don't do anything for prevention. But I think I think we need to focus here because mm. our policies are not yet, at least, sound here. Arizona. Yes. Yes. And and we aren't doing everything we can be doing, starting with thinking about the best ways to communicate and then, as I said, actually monitoring that effectiveness. If if we are going to 
truly be ahead of the curve and truly impact this infection, most everyone really has to be doing it mm -hmm. and be doing it with, you know, a high level of consistency, right? And not sitting next to Tom in their golf cart and making an exception, Dave, for your friends who you think you trust, you know. <laughs> Curse them. My goodness. <laughs> um, but I, 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 think, first... I think you understand what you're, what you're saying. I mean, we... We know what has to be done theoretically, yes. but we've never implemented anything like this in the modern world before. So we've got this big challenge, and then we've got all these opportunities for misinformation, especially with social media. And so we're combating misinformation, and then we've got to find ways, again, to get the good information and guidance out there. And we need everyone who has a good idea to come forward in whatever area it might be with those ideas. Like one of the things I saw being discussed yesterday and that I've been thinking about a lot is how can we provide childcare safely to all of these essential workers who suddenly have their children out of school? What might that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, can we get some creative minds together and think about that? Are there, are there ways that we could use spaces that aren't currently being occupied and other workers and, again, do that safely? There's so much to be done, and I, I think we've got to ask for every good mind in our community to, to come forward and help solve these problems um, and to do it seriously and to do it in a way that is focused first on our health and not on our economy. I wonder where those uh, best practices are archived or collected, or shared. Because what we're talking about is best practices in a sense, right? For or, child care. Right. Best practices. I'm not sure where we would look, Dave, because we've not had exactly this mm -hmm. before. Right. I mean, we're, we're in very, very new territory. Yeah. Um, I've been looking to President Cuomo. Yes. <laughs> Even though I'm way out here in Tucson, Arizona, I look to President Cuomo. So, yeah, I, I, I haven't looked, actually, to see in New York what they're doing with something like child care. Yeah, that's got, right that poses a terrible dilemma, a difficult problem. It's huge. It's tough Thank on goodness kids. we have robots. Yeah, don't we? No. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they're doing well. I mean, wow. they're doing this and they're doing that. But I've seen a yeah. couple of robots that China used to like roll out on people's streets <laughs> yeah. and drones. Yeah, drones. Drones are being used for a few things. Sorry, and, a little off. And, and they're they're susceptible to a different different type of virus. So That's true. Probably okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, as long as we're laughing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming in and joining us here today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, on the other side, as my friends say to me these days, that's the phrase. On the other side of this, we'll drink white wine in the sun together. Oh, man. I can't wait till this plague is passed. Me too. See you in 2021. There you go. All right. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening in to the Point Being podcast. 
Uh, for Sarah Garrett Gasson, our editor, I'm Edward Salaya. There's David Fitzsimmons. Yeah, here I am reminding you that the opinions expressed belong to us and not to Lee Publishing. That's right. And so for Michelle Manos, thank you so, so much for joining us again today. Thank you so much. And everybody, stay safe. And please, please, please maintain that physical distance. Six feet. Listen up, folks, please. All right. Thank you so much for listening in. We'll see you next week. Thanks again.